Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for our devotion to it. We'd ask that we would, at whatever state we are in, in our walks with you and your son, that this morning would be an improvement in it. In your son's name, amen. Well, as you can tell, in a situation where small town, small Christian community, broader than our church, obviously, we're one of the sort of the tinier aspects of the broader Christian community. When a, when a notable uh, event, in this case, say my sister's death, now she, she didn't live around here, lived in Los Angeles, but Doug Wilson pastors Christ Church, and it's his sister, and Gordon Wilson teaches at NSA, and it's his sister, and here I am, and it's my sister, and it's Jim Wilson's daughter, and, and uh, consequently, it, it, it touches some of the conversations. It's not as bad as COVID, but still, you find yourself in conversations. Thinking about it quite a bit. Each of us are going to say something at the funeral. And so you're thinking about it in regard to that. A couple weeks ago, right when we were in the middle of it, uh, it happening, I, was, I spoke on John 10 about the nature of our expectation of glory and how on moments like these, when we really measure this earthly life as the only heaven we're ever going to get, we become very sad because when a person dies, they don't get all the heaven. And that's wrong. Yes, they didn't get the rest of this, but my gosh, it's like cheap Japanese knockoff. No offense to my Japanese parishioners. We have two. So I was thinking about it more and I, you know, stressing because the Lord said in John 10 about the promise of eternal life, you shall not perish. No one shall snatch you out of his hand. Do you believe it? Is your heaven coming? Not is your heaven this? And, you know, do I get to marry the person I want to marry and have cute children and 2.5 of them and a yard that doesn't have bad grass? Um... Is that your heaven or is there heaven coming? So given I encouraged that, I, I was looking at Corinthians 15, the latter part of Corinthians 15 is what we're in this morning, on the resurrection. Because when you tell people, you know, be thinking about life eternal. And what happens in Corinthians 15, and we're not starting at the beginning, we're starting closer to the end, two-thirds of the way through. Um, Paul is arguing against those people who would deny the resurrection of the dead. It's a, this is a big theme, wherever you are. Even if Christians aren't talking about the resurrection of the dead, if you started to talk about the resurrection of the dead, you'd get some back chat. Some people don't agree. Uh, isn't it really a, just a metaphor for living on in your family's memories, that sort of nonsense? 
get all Sadducee on the situation. So Paul is up against that, and he's arguing against those. Why would you say that Christ is not raised? If Christ is not raised, if people are not raised, Christ is not raised, and you're still in your sins. Basically, early part of the chapter, Pascal's wager is set aside. You know, where Pascal suggests that, well, how could it? It's a no-lose situation. If you follow Christ and it's fake, you know, it's not true, you had a good life. If you follow Christ and it's true, did I say true the first part? If it's not true, you had a good life. If it is true, hey, you go to heaven. St. Paul disagrees with Pascal. He says, uh, if Christ is not raised, we are all men most to be pitied. We're silly, stupid people. So he's coming out of that where you have a situation where people who don't really have a place. Now, it might not be that you would argue with the resurrection. We're talking about the bodily resurrection, not just of Jesus Christ, but of you into glory, into the next life, however you would conceive heaven to be. And as we have dwelt more and more on the rewards of getting the next iPhone, um, we forget that there is life eternal, and we forget that this isn't the, the heaven we seek. But we might be in the same kind of mood when Paul has been leaning into the resurrection so hard. And it says in the first verse we're dealing with, verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, it looks like an honest question. What is the kind of thing? Tell me, Rabbi, how are the dead raised? What kind of thing is it? He knows what kind of argument he is in. If you go back and read the first part of the chapter, 1 through 34, you find the elbows are swinging in theological directions. So his response when he says, you foolish man. I said, well, man, that's a little bit up. That escalated quickly. It had already escalated. Paul was arguing in favor of the bodily resurrection. Somebody was coming back at him with some kind of uh, testy question, not entirely honest. Tell me, Paul, what's this resurrection like? Have you seen heaven? So Paul's response is more, look, Skippy, you don't get to you know, be this way because this is what it is. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. It's one of those, I've been meditating a lot over some years now. Uh, you know I'm a big fan of Mr. Lewis and, uh, and his brilliant capability of shifting the axis of the thought. Things that people think, I have got you now, and they think that they've set up a question or a an axis along which people find themselves confused, and C.S. Lewis would just change the, the, the angle that the question went through the question, through the subject by. Paul's doing the same thing here. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, in that remark, as much of a curse as death is, 
It's part of the natural process. Not a natural process that makes sure that we end up being good uh, compost for the Moscow Cemetery. We're all the cycle of life. Or is it the circle of life? What do they sing about? Circle of life. They never show the, the hyenas taking down the, you know, never mind. Circle of life nonsense. But it, whatever the case, you do have a different way of looking at being dead. Because as soon as I shift to what I sow does not come to life unless it dies, as my metaphor for this, instead of saying, my will is annihilated, my body is rotting in the ground, I am nothing but worm food. It changes whether or not you're ready for the resurrection. A body, a, a, the plant doesn't come to life, and you get the little seed out of something. I, was, I have a tree in my backyard that my daughter and I, years ago when she was preschool or something, we were on a walk, you know, because I'm a perfect father. And uh, there was an acorn in the gutter out in front of... Uh, Mrs. Espy's house, that big oak tree out there, and the acorn had sprouted in the gutter, just a little green thing. We had mis probably misplaced hopes. We picked it up, she brought it home, put it in a styrofoam container, and it continued to grow. Finally, it got to be about a foot and a half high, so we planted it in the yard. It's called Michael's Oak. Probably, I don't know, 20 feet, something like that. It's already snapped off once in a snowstorm, but it's still going at it. What's well, amazing, little haycorn. That's what you call them. Isn't that uh, Winnie the Pooh? Haycorns, rather. <laughs> little thing inside of which is a tree. So we were talking last night about, um, what was the word that someone used about how amazing how amazing it is how little we know about what's going on. That somehow in that seed, there's this instruction that the thing could go to pieces, and then 50 years later, you could build a house out of it. And another thing you have to learn about this issue that we're looking at, death and resurrection, what you sow is not the body which is to be, but a bare kernel, the haycorn, the seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. This is not, when God makes the flaw, remember it says in Romans 8, he subjected the world to futility, but he subjected it in hope. This was a designed futility. This is not the futility of chaos and collapse. This futility is a plot. It is trying to kill you. Okay? Just to cheer you up. Good morning. This year, God is trying to kill you. <laughs> and every year subsequent. If you dodge him this year, he will get you in some future year. Remember that, you, don't, you don't like this story when Moses has been commissioned by God and raised up at the burning bush, and off he goes to Egypt, and that God is waiting for him at an end to kill him. 
And you go, what? Didn't he, just, didn't he just send him? The futility of this world is designed futility. And given its design futility, it's an ordered, you might say, futility. Rather than chaos, it is a feature. But you've got to know what's going on. You've got to know what kind of image you're drawing. It's got to die. That's the first point. That's the nature of the beast, the storyline. And then it says, it's got to change, right? The body that's sown is not the body which is to be. There's got to be a change. And it's consistent, verse 38, but God gives a body, it a body, as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So there's a consistency. You are a seed. You're going to die. You're going to change. It's going to be consistent by kind. So you don't plant acorns and get pine trees. For not all flesh is alike, but there is one kind for men, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. In other words, he's explaining to the hearer that one, you've got to change your metaphor. Two, you've got to understand, just like you accept different kinds of bodies, what is hard about this? Understand there are different kinds of bodies. Not only different kinds of bodies, but there are, you see a dog, you see a, um, you see that video Boston Dynamics video of the dancing robots a couple days ago? Okay, Skynet is after you. God is not just trying to kill you. Skynet is going to kill you. Just saying. Now, that's disturbing when you see a body that is not really a body moving like a body. That's disturbing. But we know the different kinds of bodies, so, you know, we don't have to flip out about this, but we also have to realize there are different kinds of bodies in height, glory. It says the next verse, verse 40, there are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. You are terrestrial, by the way. It means stuck on earth rather than heaven. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For stars, there was some star in glory. Just like he said, dogs look different than rhinos. You got height differences as well. So you got death in this metaphor, you've got change in this metaphor. You had kind in this metaphor, and you have degrees of glory. Prepare your mind this way. He wants you to think about it. This is not an argument. It's not a proof. It's not saying, see, I told you so. He's just saying, this is the way it is. Maybe it will help you understand. It's not talking about something that is descriptively irrational. We can speak of these things in other ways. So it is, verse 42, with the resurrection of the dead. Remember, this guy is asked the question, how are the dead raised? What sort of body do they come with? 
and we got went into the skippy motif, and you had to adjust. Okay, we're thinking about it this way, like we're being planted. It's the old phrase. What's the old phrase when you get shot in the in the old west? You're pushing up daisies. Well, that's what you're doing. You know, they plant you in the graveyard, and you're pushing up daisies. You're pushing up the resurrected life. That's what your body dies to create. It's a kind and connection. You're of that kind. You've got to change. You've got to die. And there's glory waiting for you. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Now you start to define your terms. What is the distinction? There's going to be a change. There's got to be the death. There's going to be a change. What you lose is your perishability. It's raised imperishable. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. You know, we live in America. We have a Ford. We drive it around. The tires are good. We're on warranty. Perfect life. What could be better? I don't. I mean, we take it in every six months or so and pay for that. This is America. This is North Idaho. This is the edge of civilization. I can drive that Ford to a choice of one, two, three grocery stores. Three? Yes. I don't count the co-op. There's hippie dirt cookies and so forth. Um, it's amazing. It's flat out amazing. We sometimes, we are so kept away, we're so, we think we've figured everything out, we buy so much insurance, we got everything managed so that when we finally get to the place where we're really unacceptable socially, they have places they put us called old folks' homes where you don't have to go see people anymore. In antiquity, probably a little bit more conscious of the dishonor and the weakness but you will be conscious. You yourself will be conscious at some point, unless the Lord is merciful to you and you go out on the grill work of the 7-Up truck or something like that. You're just quickly dead. But those are the things, I have them all in red, imperishable, glorious, goes from dishonor to glory, weakness to power, physical to spiritual. Notice that I, my brother pointing this out to me years ago, it doesn't go from physical, a physical uh, substance to spirit. It goes from body to body, different kind of body. You are raised physically in the sense that it is substantial. The physical body is perishable. The physical body is not immortal. The spiritual body is immortal as imperishable. We don't trade out for ephemera, you know, some sort of gaseous like steam rising out of the swamp that is our grave into some sort of union with the Godhead. Don't talk like that to yourself. Pick up the images you've been given. It's an 
a higher, a more glorified, an imperishable, a powerful body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Once you step into this illustration, you've got the thing that dies and perishes and is put in the ground. The image is pretty strong. Again, it's not an argument, it's not a proof, it's just an image. Once you start thinking in this image that your physical body, when it perishes in the ground, it's natural to go, yes, there will be a plant that grows out of it and it will be what? How different? How changed? How glorious will it be? Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's out of Genesis 2. God breathes into Adam and he became a life-giving spirit. Um, the last Adam being a life-giving, became a life-giving spirit, sort of echoing that comment, some of the translations in Genesis 2 speak of, say, he breathed into Adam and he became a life-giving spirit um, of God. And some people say, no, Adam becomes a life-giving spirit. Um, but here, it's Christ is the life-giving spirit. First man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, when... If you think in terms of this image, this metaphor, and I mentioned a minute ago, if a seed, then a plant... What is the nature of the seed that you are the plant of or going to be the plant of? And this is what he's talking about with Adam and the second Adam. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual which is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Okay? He's saying the kind of seed you are is the kind of plant you get. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, that's the promise. There's an intervening thing here, though. We got the man of dust which I physically like, not as ripped as Adam probably was. But um, we're yearning to have the glorious distinction that being a descendant of the man of heaven, being connected to him, to being of that kind of seed, that it produces that kind of result when it dies in the ground, because everyone will be raised. The resurrection is not for Christians. See that in John 5. Everyone will be raised, some to the resurrection of judgment and some to the resurrection of life. Now the problem is, if I'm a descendant of the man of dust, if I'm just a descendant of Adam, that's all I've become. That's what I'm going to be raised to. That's the kind of plant that's going to be, what does C.S. Lewis say in Weight of Glory, that everyone you meet one of two things, either someone you're going to be tempted to bow down and worship, 
or a nightmare. Depends on which seed you are. We have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So how do we, obviously there's, there's something that goes on here that is kind of a crisis. Okay, we all got raised, we're all going to get planted, we're all seed. There's all these different kinds of things. Let's look at that image, carry it out. And then he's letting you know, hey, it differs man to man, person to person. What's it going to be? What's it going to be for you? He says in verse 50, I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. A little warning there, that if you don't go through this change between flesh and blood to something imperishable, the kingdom of heaven's not for you. The kingdom of heaven's not going to work out. You do not inherit. So what do we do? You say, I'd like to stay a man of dust, and I'm just going to try to make this world as heavenly as possible. Big pile of pleasure, small pile of pain. Get the admiration of my fellow workers. Get a sweet automobile. Um, what else is there in life? French fries. Good French fries. We just try to make this heaven. And some of you may be already on track to do that. It might be actually working out for some of you already. That you may have gotten your gift from the federal government already. Anybody get the gift yet? 600 bucks? Nobody? This is a plot against Christianity, I can tell you that. <laughs> I know some people that have gotten it already. <clears throat> this is not heaven enough. If you hope, remember, flesh and blood cannot inherit, we have to be able to put it on the imperishable. That which is the image of the man of heaven, we must also find ourselves bearing. We have been, I have a quote of here on the left-hand side from Romans 5. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans, talking about the same image distinction between the first and second Adam. And he's saying, we have borne the image. Death reigned. But if we receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, we will reign in life. Lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You're basically saying, okay, in case you're the kind of person who likes to jot quick notes down on your index cards and develop it into some sort of conspiracy of theology on your bedroom wall with red lines drawn between the cards, don't do that. So I thought everyone had to die. Well, he then says, we shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we will all be changed. The dying thing, even though you physically die like the seed dies, it's a metaphor. 
It's to help you understand how this is going to work, under, under what auspices will it be carried out. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable nature must put on the imperishable, and this mortal nature must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's out of Isaiah. And out of Hosea, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Now, what I'm going to... I don't want you to get too far afield into the, okay, he quoted Isaiah, I think it's, you could read that portion, he quoted Hosea, read that portion. He tells you in this passage what he wants you to think about that. When the imperishable comes, you will see the point to the death is swallowed up in victory. But we've got this, I'm a man of dust, am I a man of heaven? that shift between living in righteousness, death reigning in me, repenting, belonging to Jesus Christ to become the man of heaven. When he tells you death is swallowed up in victory and that will come to pass, he says in 56, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Okay? He just, you're in the midst of these metaphors he's laying out for you. And how are you going to move from the calamity, the perishable that is absolutely perishable, the resurrection that is to death, the resurrection to judgment, and the resurrection to life? Death will be swallowed up in victory. What is the sting of this death that is out there looking at us. Again, my sister died. She was a great believing woman. Consequently, the family is really able to rejoice because all you do is have someone move away for a long time. That's all. Death is not a sting. But the sting of death is not separation from our earthly heavens. It's not like, oh my gosh, someone I liked. I like my sister. She's a great gal. It's not that sting. The sting of death is sin. That's the crippling mortality of it. And the power of sin is the law. And he just Paul will occasionally just remind you what war he was against. He was against the law in the Christian life because it represented righteousness and it just made you wicked beyond belief. You, that's what made transgression. So what's our answer? Why is this death swallowed up in victory? He tells you what the sting is. He tells you what the power is. But thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The swallowed up in victory, what's the victory? Jesus Christ is the victory. Now at this point, I 
want you to look at uh, Romans 6 here on the side. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There is this transition of moving from the man of dust to the man of heaven, our participation in Christ and his death, so that we could walk in newness of life, so that we wouldn't be under sin. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's a powerful section. Now, obviously there were you know, 20 sermons available in that passage I just read. But that last bit, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. This passage from being a man of dust, just a man marking time in his own little personal heaven, as best as he can arrange it, you decided you were going to die with Christ, you were going to step into Christ, you were going to bow the knee to Christ, and you die to sin, and you'll be alive to God. A resurrection works in you already. It's like you are changed from what kind of seed you are now to the kind of seed you are, can be now, so that when you perish, it's a nothing. Because we know what kind of body will be born from it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It tells you how to function in this kind of mindset. You're being told to step away from the thing that is the sting of that death, sin. You're told to step away from the law that gives sin the power. It tells you to step into Christ and into his death and die to sin and consider yourselves dead to sin. 1 John 3, 2, the last passage on the left. Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We spend this time between dust and heaven, looking to Christ, being steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It is a promise. Hope, when he talks about the resurrection in Romans 8, he says he subjected the creation to futility, but he subjected it in hope. Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? 
we have been given a hope in this resurrection that you're not given a picture of acutely, photographically, but you're given a path and a way of understanding it, a metaphor for it, where you stand in this stepping away from sin, stepping away from the law, stepping away from the things that make men of dust just ready for hell. Now, as I was thinking about this, as you know, my sister just died. I know that's kind of unfair when you get, I was telling uh, Nico, I think last night, about uh, the effect that a family member dying has on preachers. You can talk about, you know, the awkward encounter with death that everybody's feeling a little awkward. And you, I guess we can some conviction. But this is not on my, is on my mind because of my sister's death. But that's not what this doctrine is. This is not solace for the Wilson family in the time of an unexpected death. Let's talk about the resurrection now because that's what we hope Heather will get in our mythos. This is your philosophy. I, I have never seen, and I, and I really know this probably would get me banned from the, you know, whatever group of geeks are here, the Mandalorian, okay? Now, but what I've noticed is that I'm not a complete loser. Um, I hear there's a phrase, this is the way, right? Not may the force be with you, but this is the way. Everybody's turning that into something, memes, etc. It's a shame because this is the way. Our philosophy is the resurrection. It's why we do everything. It's why we serve the living God, the resurrection of the dead, the forgiveness of sins, life eternal. If it's only comfort to you so that when Aunt Betty dies, you have something to write in the card, kind of a semi-biblical grace to the person. But we have hope in Jesus. Thank you. Let's not think about that. After two weeks, gone. That's gone. No more hope in Jesus nonsense. This is your life. This is your philosophy. This is why we are different from other religions. Our God is going to rescue you from this futility. Some of you will die first. Some of you will maybe make it to the, I don't know, what do you consider? Second coming, third coming, whatever it is. Your, your, your eschatology. But while we're here, what sort of lives shall we live in godliness? Purifying ourselves as he is pure, standing against sin so that we can be of heaven like our Christ, who we look at. And as we look at, we become like. And we're looking forward to the day when you will see him as he is. What was that great line out of the hymn? I worship him as he art, or something, that as thou art, or something like that. That I shall see him as I ought when I see him finally. That was John Newton. I forget. I just butchered the quote. 
You've got this as Christianity. You don't have this just to get you through tough times. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very, very grateful for your son. Very grateful for the life that the man of heaven has brought to us. Lord, um, we'd like to step away from the death in us. <coughs> we'd like to cling to the death that is our translation to the imperishable. We trust that we will both be as men and women of you when the time comes, whether it's sudden, whether it's soon, whether it's long time. We know that we have to cross that to be with you, and we'd ask that you would make that the centerpiece of our thought. In your son's name we pray, whom you raised from the dead. Amen.